you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We have already studied 1 Thessalonians, and then last week we looked at chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. And today uh, we're going to go into chapter 2, but I have prepared for about the first four verses, because I think that might be enough. A whole lot to talk about there. Uh, I hope you got your Bible with you or your phone that has your Bible on it because we're going to go some different places, check out some scriptures and some other books and uh, really learn about the coming of the Lord and the day of the Lord. The day of Christ is what the New King James Version here says. Let's uh, go ahead and read the first couple of verses. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by the Spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ come. So uh, that's an interesting term, the day of Christ. You won't see that too often in the Bible, but we do see it here. In the Old Testament, we see a whole lot about the day of the Lord. And we're going to talk about how the day of the Lord is not just the day of, or the time of judgment, but also includes the rapture of the church. All that is considered together the day of the Lord. We're going to look at that. So it says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So the way Paul says this, it's interesting. So he is addressing some questions, obviously, that they have had about rapture, about the return of the Lord, whether the Lord has already come back, all those kinds of things. These were questions that the young Thessalonian church had. Remember in 1 Thessalonians, he talked about how that Paul was only able to be with them for a few weeks. And then he kind of got run out of town by some uh, jealous uh, Jewish leaders who did not like him. And so he had to escape so now he's checking on them, but also he is trying to answer some of their questions. So he's instructing them about the catching of the way of the church. Nowhere in your Bible does it use the word rapture, but it does talk about catching away of the church. Interesting, that catching away is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse 16 through 18. And the other thing is that we know that Paul had been with the Thessalonian church for just a few weeks, but during that time, he thought it was a good thing to teach them about the coming day of judgment of the Lord and the rapture of the church. So we know that he taught them, but we don't know exactly what he taught them, but we can kind of put that together as we study 
1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and some of the other works of Paul uh, to know exactly what Paul said to them about uh, the coming of the Lord. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together to him. I want to point out that Paul is making reference to a couple of different things here. The wording implies that there's a difference between the coming of the Lord and our gathering to him. So there's essentially, don't go and tell everybody I said there's two comings of the Lord, but essentially uh, it is almost like that because uh, there is a coming of Christ for his church and then a coming of the Lord with his church back to the world in the last day to judge, right? Uh, did you know that we'll be with Christ when he comes back? Two parts of one great event. And the scripture here just talks about it as one day. Now, how many knows that a day with the Lord is as a thousand, right? Uh, so our concept of time and the Lord's concept of time, they don't always match up exactly, right? Why is that? I wouldn't God's time match up with our time. By the way, when we say one day, what do we mean? 24 hours. 24 hours. But the Lord made time, and so he's not subject to time, right? And when he says the coming day of the Lord, that's pretty much whenever he chooses, right? Uh, so it, it's interesting as we look at that, uh, and we are sometimes taken aback by the thought of God creating time and not being subject to time. God exists in eternity, from beginning to end, no end of him. He has always been, is always now, and will always be, right? So it's interesting as we, as we look at that. When we say that Paul is separating the rapture of the church from the judgment of the world, that's consistent with the rest of the Bible. And I'm going to have you look up some things uh, that really show this so that there are separate time periods and there's times between the rapture of the church and the coming uh, of, of the Lord as far as uh, his return back to the world after the tribulation. Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 42. We're going to read about some different things that are going on here. Matthew 24. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day of Noah entered the ark. And did not until the flood came and took them all away, so also was the coming of the Will the Son of Man be? <clears throat> then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for unto you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, 
he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. So, what does this particular thing describe? It's describing the second coming of the Lord. Which is, he's, he's describing the rapture too, right? Because uh, he's saying that two men will be walking in the field, one will go, the other won't, uh, that it's going to come like a thief in the night, all of those kinds of things. So that is a description of the rapture of the church. Matthew 24, 21, look what it says. For then there will be great distress, unequal from the end of the world until now, and then will be equal again. So what is that particular thing talking about? That's talking about the tribulation, right? So we we know that there is a such thing in the Bible called the Day of the Lord, but it's described in different facets and different ways. One of the aspects of the Day of the Lord is the return of Christ for his church, which is, we commonly call that, what? The rapture, right? The other aspect of the Day of the Lord is the tribulation. By the way, when does the tribulation start? We're going to get there tonight. But we'll move on. We don't know exactly. I'm just saying there's a time frame and there's certain things that we're looking for. Look at Revelation 19.11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And who, he who sat on him is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Read verse 14 and 15 in the same chapter. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So we have two different descriptions of the coming of the Lord. One is to come for his bride, which is, and it says, we don't know when that's going to happen, right? And it's going to be like a thief coming in the night. This return is at the end of the ages, and it is to end the war of all wars, right? So uh, I'm, I'm just trying to point out there's some, uh, there is, the day of the Lord incorporates a time frame that is more than just a day, number one. And the Lord is returning, and he's returning in a couple of different fashions. One, to rapture his church. Number two, to end, end the uh, tribulation and end uh, the fight uh, with uh, the enemies of this world and with the devil. Let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So, we don't know the return of the Lord. Jesus doesn't even know the day of the return of the Lord. The angels don't know the day of the return of the Lord. Who does? God, the Father. Let's look at 
Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. So when you study the return of the Lord and the day of the Lord, the rapture, the tribulation, you can't just look at one book. You need to look at many books scattered throughout the whole Bible. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. Time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So, what's that a description of? It's during the tribulation and it's a specific time frame. So, we look at the Antichrist comes, he's revealed. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. Antichrist is revealed, he Teaches and preaches peace, and that he's going to uh, do all this, all these things to bring the whole world together. And this description that Bill just read is in the middle of the tribulation. He says, "I'm done with doing that. I'm done with working with Israel. They built the temple. By the way, the temple will be rebuilt, right? Uh, they've rebuilt the temple, and he goes in. And how many have heard the term abomination of desolation?" And that is when either an idol or a person, I'm going to say it's a person, the Antichrist, goes into the temple and sets himself up to be worshipped as if he was God. Why am I showing you all this? Rapture, unpredictable as far as when the Lord will come. Once we get into the tribulation time frame, you can count the days. What does that scripture say? 1,000. 290. Do you have a calculator on you? Guess how many years 1,290 is? It's three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half. That's half a seven, right? So God's very specific in the tribulation period is going to be what? Seven years. At the midpoint, there is a break, there is a, uh, a change, and uh, some things were revealed that will be different. We just looked at a bunch of things, and I hope I didn't confuse you, but I could have. And if I did, now you find yourself in the place that the Thessalonian church was in. They didn't understand what was going on. They weren't sure, even though Paul himself had taught them, right? And they were like, okay, has the Lord already come? That was really the question. Has the Lord already come? The answer to that is what? Well, he had the first time, but not the second time. <laughs> not the second time. That's right. That's right. Uh, so he had come as a baby, which we're celebrating. This is the season of that. But he had not come to rapture his church. Right? Uh, so, uh, we, and he says to them, he asked them not not to be something. What does he ask them not to be in verse 2? Don't be shaken in mind or troubled. Right? Don't be shaken in mind. That word means like a sudden jolt. You ever been awakened suddenly? It's like a sudden jolt, right? That's what Paul's saying. Don't be Shaken in mind. In other words, don't be disturbed. What was happening was there was 
false teachers that were coming in and talking to the Thessalonian church and saying, all that stuff that Paul told you about, about the Lord coming and rapturing his church, it's already happened. And they were confused. Uh, and we know that it had not happened because some things had not taken place. Don't be troubled in mind. Don't be shaken in mind as if the Lord had already come. That word to be shaken is kind of like a ship that's at sea and it's in distress. That's what that word means. So they were disturbed. They were distressed thinking that they had missed the coming of the Lord. That would be, that would be upsetting, wouldn't it? If you think you've missed the coming of the Lord, it'd be very upsetting. And so that's where we find this Thessalonian church. The day of the Lord there is referred to in verse 2. Not a single day, but a period associated with God's outpouring judgment and God's deliverance of his people. So two things happen in the day of the Lord. He judges the people who have not accepted him, and he delivers those who have accepted him. How does he deliver them? How does God deliver us who believe in him from having to go through judgment? What's it called? The rapture, right? He saves us from that. He keeps us from that time frame of the great tribulation. Now, when we were in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians, we talked about the concept of pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, all that kind of stuff, right? And I told you then that Pentecostal Church of God believes in what? Pre-tribulation. Many as a matter of fact, I would say most Pentecostal organizations, most, believe in pre-tribulation. That the church will escape without having to go through the judgment that the world will have to go through. Paul's saying it's obvious that the day of Christ has not been completed because the church has not been raptured and the judgment, the extreme judgment of world has not happened. He says, don't be troubled if you hear by spirit or by word or by letter. In other words, he said, don't listen to everybody else. Listen to me, and I'm telling you that the Lord has not come back yet, and the day of tribulation has not started. That's what Paul said. And he says, don't believe anybody, whether it is by spirit. What does that mean? Maybe somebody get, get, gets up and, and has a revelation of the Spirit, and it's incorrect. How many knows that we can miss that? And people, especially if they're false prophets, could deliver a wrong word through the Spirit. And then he's saying, don't listen to somebody else's letter. Somebody writes you or somebody tells you that the Lord has already come back. Don't pay attention to that. Let's read verse 3. Here's what I was talking about, God, about kind of how we'll know some things that will happen first. 
So verse 3 says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. How many of you ever heard about the great falling away? I remember hearing that actually from my great grandpa, Arma. He, he always talked about a great falling away. Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. So Paul's saying there is a concrete timeline for the tribulation. He said we don't know exactly when it will start, but we do know some things that have to happen first. And the first thing that he says that has to happen is that there is a falling away. When I say a falling away, what does that make me think of? Falling away of the church people? That's included in it. What else? How about just a falling away in general? Like people getting further and further away from God and godly principles. The falling away has two principles in it, and the first one is rebellion. Do we see rebellion in our day? And we see people getting farther and farther away from the truth, right? So we see this aspect of rebellion, apostasy, which means those who used to follow God no longer are following God, but also an overall general worldwide rebellion. And we're seeing evidence of that, aren't we? That, that people are getting further and further away from what we used to just believe were just normal things to believe. And so we see a, a general overall uh, worldwide rebellion. Uh, I'm not saying that the falling away has come, because if that has come, then we're in the tribulation. But I'm saying that we are seeing evidence and a leading towards that. Do you believe that? Uh, that there is a falling away that is uh, occurring, a falling away, but not the falling away. That is evidence that, that the tribulation has begun. So there's two aspects to the falling away. It is rebellion and departure. I may have not. So let's look at your question real quick. Verse 2 says, what did Paul ask them not to be? He answered that. Don't be what? Shaken in mind for trouble. Question number 2 says, what were the Thessalonians concerned had come? The day of the Lord, the day of Christ. It's according to verse 2. Uh, the wording of verse 1 implies that there is a difference between what two things? The coming of Christ and, and our gathering to him. We've, we've kind of answered those questions as we have gone along. And then the question number 4, we just looked at that. 
According to verse 3, the day of Christ will not come unless two things occur. What was that? Falling away and man of sin. Man of sin. Hmm. Let's not go to man of sin quite yet. If you have your Bible with you, look at Revelation 9, verse 20 and 21. It's a description of a great rejection of the Lord. We've been all over the book. Can't say we haven't studied the whole book tonight. Revelation chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues should not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murder, of their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. That chapter is talking about after the world has already gone through a whole lot of judgment. And you would think that the judgment of the Lord would make people repent. But they don't. Why? Why would, why would people repent after God had judged them? Because where's their mind? Satan's got a hold of it, right? Uh, and the Lord has allowed them to believe a lie, right? Uh, that's part of the scripture as well. So we see this, even though God's trying to judge the world, and when God judges people, he doesn't do it to be mean and get back at people. He does it to try to draw them back to him. That's always God's thought. But people don't always repent and return to the Lord. And we see this in Revelation for sure. No matter what we see God do and how God pours out judgment upon the world, this is evidence that people just continue to do the sin that they have and they won't repent. They won't turn back to God. Uh, so there's this great rejection, if you will, falling away. Uh, is a part of that. Number one, we do know that some people do get saved in the tribulation. The Bible talks about tribulation saints. Personal opinion is I believe a whole lot of those are Jewish people. I do believe that there could be some people who have possibly heard the word before, never repented, while they had a chance before the Lord returned for his church and maybe somehow made it. But the Bible tells us very clear that in the tribulation, in order to be saved, they will lose their life. So they'll, they'll die. They'll either be killed or die of starvation or whatever. But as long as they haven't, you know, accepted the mark of the beast, they haven't trusted in, in Satan and, and all of that and have, and, and have given their life to Christ, then they will be saved. There are some. Father, by this. I think that's a 
I wouldn't put a lot of hope in it. Because if people can't live for the Lord now, in the time of grace, I think it's going to be very difficult to live for the Lord in that day. Because there will be, the Bible talks, and we're going to get there, about something that prevents the world from being total chaos, and that's the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit will not be present in the tribulation in the manner that we know it is now. So right now, the Holy Spirit is continuing to draw people to the Lord so that they'll be saved. I'm not saying none will be saved, but it'll be a different action of the Holy Spirit during that time frame. Plus, the day will be so evil and so bad, and people will be tempted to See, the Bible tells us without the mark of the beast, you can't sell, buy, trade, can't buy food. So imagine if you're starving to death or your child's starving to death, you might be willing, well, that's worse than thought, isn't it, to do that. The answer to the question is, they might be saved if they really remembered that and they really trusted God and they held on and they were willing to give up their life. But that's they need to get saved now, right? Uh, while it's while it's an easier time to do so. So let's look at the man of sin. Who do you think this man of sin is? I I do believe it is the Antichrist. The man of sin is going to be revealed. It tells us. Before the great tribulation can begin, there's this great falling away, and the man of sin is revealed, which most scholars and at least the commentaries that I've read and the things that I've studied points out that they do believe this to be the Antichrist. The Antichrist has to be revealed. So how close are we to the rapture of the church? Might happen any day. Hey, we're seeing the signs of the times, folks. Yeah. That, that, that's very true. We're we're almost at the end of this day, so we're one day closer than we've ever been. Right? right? And the Lord can come back any day, any time. I might not finish this teaching, and the, and the Lord can come back. Right? So the man of sin has to be revealed. Not only do, does the commentaries that I read believe that this is the Antichrist, if you go all the way back to some of the founding fathers of Christianity, like first, second century, they also believed that this was talking about the Antichrist. So for a long time, people believed that the man of sin, that is a reference to the Antichrist. Could the Antichrist be alive Today, we think he is. So we look at the man called the Antichrist, but there is also this spirit of the age. Sometimes the Bible calls it that, but the spirit of the Antichrist. And anti means against. So we live in a world that is against Christ. That's pretty evident, isn't it? I mean, we, we see that. 
So not only is there the man hinge of Christ, but there is this system or the government. I'm not talking about like United States government. I'm talking about principalities and powers. I'm talking about the government of Satan. The Antichrist spirit is active. So the actual Antichrist, the person, could be alive, but not revealed yet. Because the Antichrist, in my opinion, would not be a baby whenever the rapture takes place. Because this is going to be a person that is old enough and connected enough and powerful enough that the world will turn and ask him and be a part of that government they have set up. We have we've seen crazies down through the ages that yeah. said that they were Christ or that they were even the Antichrist. Right. right? I do think that it'll be a work of Satan to reveal him. One thing we're going to talk about in a little bit is this thought of Satan likes to mirror what God did in Christ. When Christ came, that there were signs and revelation that he was coming. Right? We talked about the wise men this past Sunday. What did they see? Star, right? In the sky. And so that was kind of like an announcement or revealing that the Christ had been born. How that'll happen? I don't know that I know the answer to that. But I believe it will be Satan will like try to announce him and, uh, and reveal him. Like God said, yeah, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So the, it also calls him the son of perdition. Perdition means destruction. So the enemy will come in Antichrist will come in and the Bible tells us whenever they say peace, peace then shall come what? Sudden destruction. Right? So the son of perdition is, means that word perdition means destruction. So he'll come in peace and talk about peace but he'll bring destruction. People need to wake up will be the spirit of the age is that people will blindly follow. The enemy does things behind doors in darkness but everything that God does is in revelation and light. Wow, we can just watch what's happening and see what's being hidden and know whether or not it's the right thing or not. Because if it's not of light, then it's of darkness. So let's look at verse 4. Last verse. I believe that we can pray and the Holy Spirit will enlighten us and guide us. And we need that right now for sure in the day that we live. If I was preaching, I'd say, can I get an amen, right? Amen. <laughs> so let's look at this. 
What does this man of sin, the Antichrist, what does he do? Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. What does this person do? The, this Antichrist, according to verse 4, the man of sin opposes and exalts himself above God. That's his whole game plan. The Antichrist acts out what Satan wanted to do. When you read the scripture about Satan saying, I will exalt myself. That scripture that talks about that? I'm going to put myself above the heavens. I'm going to place myself on the throne. That's what Satan wanted to do initially. And he was cast out of heaven because of that, right? Now he comes back and he has the Antichrist. And the Antichrist has the same philosophy and the same will. The Antichrist will exalt himself and oppose God. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's an interesting verse. The man of sin will demand worship for himself. The Antichrist will want to be worshipped. He wants to, can I tell you, anything that tries to steal your worship is not of God. Our worship belongs to God in the moment. So anything that gets in the way of worship is not of God. Sometimes we get in our own way of worship to God, don't we? Sometimes because we don't want to. We have a self-will. But the enemy also gets involved because he doesn't want you to worship God. Why doesn't the enemy want you to worship God? Because he wants to worship, right? Uh, and because worship is so powerful, right? Worship changes us. It begins to change our minds and our will and how we see things. You see, when we enter into a place of worship, revelation takes place. Too long ago, when you were in church with us, you talked about uh, this spirit of worship that will bring revelation. Well, that's what it does when we begin to worship. Because worship exalts and edifies God, and we see him in a greater light. Right? Uh, so worship is very powerful, and this Antichrist opposes, that's question number seven, and exalts himself above God stands against God and everything that is of God. He opposes his authority and the very institution of worship of the Lord. That's what the Antichrist does. He sits as God in the temple of God. And this is a literal, when you look at the word temple, it is a literal temple. And the word temple is not just talking about the temple as a whole. It's very interesting. It's literally talking about the holy place. The Antichrist will go into the temple 
into the holy place. Not just the temple as a whole. Not just on the outside of the temple. But into the temple and there declare that he is God and he is to be worshipped. Did you know that there is already all kinds of things being made for the new temple? When I was there. So they're already making things for the new temple. Again, kind of ask the question, how close are we, right? When I was there, 2018, we had on display. I was behind cases, and it was amazingly guarded. But the menorah was on display, made out of pure gold. Beautiful, amazing to look at. Already made. That tells you how serious they are about building the new temple. So the Antichrist will do that. He'll sit as God in the temple uh, in the holy place, demand to be worshipped. Of course, that's blasphemy. It's a description of what Daniel talks about the abomination of desolation. It is the prophet Daniel, and I'm just going to quickly tell you this. The prophet Daniel is the one who tells us that, that the end of Christ will break his covenant with the Jews at the midpoint and offer sacrifice and defile the temple. Uh, so that's in Daniel chapter 9, chapter 11, and chapter 12. You can see all of that. And Jesus said the same thing about the abomination uh, in the holy place in Matthew chapter 24. Two different verses there. Last question. Satan has planned for the man of sin to mirror the ministry of Jesus. We talked a little bit about that as far as the revelation there. Jesus and the man of sin have a coming revelation. They also both show miracles in order to claim that they are who they are. There's three different ways. Uh, I can give you the scriptures that uh, show that Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Antichrist, Jesus being revealed, Antichrist being revealed, we don't really have time to go there tonight, uh, and then that they gain support for the ministry by uh, the miraculous works that, that they do. Of course, we know that Jesus did miraculous works, but so will the Antichrist through the power of Satan. But it will, it will be a different kind of power that will not be good and that will not be uh, to bring glory to God, but maybe it will be uh, for the work of Satan. Did I miss anything on the questions? Let's look at those real fast. So question number one. What did Paul ask the brother not to be? To not be shaken in mind or troubled. According to verse two, what were the Thessalonians concerned had come? They have Christ, they have the Lord. The wording of verse one implies the difference between what two things? Between the coming of Christ and are gathering to him. So two separate events in the same, what is called the day of the Lord. Uh, 
according to verse 3, that it, the day of Christ will not come unless there is a uh, falling away. It comes first. And then the man of sin is revealed. Uh, I don't know that I've talked about this. I'll just give it to you. The Greek word for falling away indicates both a rebellion and a departure. I kind of talked about that, but there's a worldwide rebellion, but also a departure. Are you noticing that now even mainline denominations are departing from what we believe to be the main tenets of the faith? That is a part of the falling away. I'm not saying it is that we're in the tribulation, but I'm saying that's what it's, it's certainly looking like now, right? The man of sin can also be referred to as Antichrist. According to verse 4, the man of sin does what? Opposes and exalts himself above God. What does the man of sin do in the temple? Sits as God in the temple and uh, demands to be worshipped. And then the last one, Satan has planned for the man of sin to mirror, mirror is the 